Addiction is a growing epidemic in this country with one in 10 people affected by substance use disorder. Hello and welcome to Living Well with Robin Stoloff, empowering you to live a healthier life. Today we'll talk about addiction, what it is, how to identify it, and what you can do if you or a loved one has it. I am so happy to welcome Dawn Bellamarch. She is the Senior Vice President of Recovery Centers of America. Dawn, thank you so much for being with me to talk about this important topic. Thank you for having me, Robin. Let's first just address what addiction actually is and how a person really knows if they have an addiction. Sure. Great question. This is probably something I get asked more commonly than not. And, and really, there's a couple key indicators. You know, addiction is, is really this mental and sometimes physical obsession with a substance. There's obviously addiction outside of just substance related ones. But ultimately, you know, it's being able to, you know, continued use with an inability to cut down. There's, you know, withdrawal that can happen where, you know, if you stop taking a substance that there's physical or mental side effects of that. And it's really this obsession, you know, around accessing a substance, using a substance and being unable to quit. You know, there's hiding use, there's legal consequences, employment. But I think the standard for addiction that people know is, you know, people often get, especially during COVID, we saw this using something pretty regularly without realizing that they're becoming dependent on it. And that's really where things can, you know, go into more addiction related is ultimately when they can't stop using on their own. Did you see a huge jump in addiction over COVID, over the pandemic? Absolutely. Scarily so. I mean, definitely alcohol use disorder was on an increase pretty early on into the pandemic. And, you know, unfortunately, an increase in older adults accessing treatment, the isolation, the, the limited ability to go out or go to work or engage with social networks, unfortunately, really spiked up the numbers for addiction rates. Yeah, that's just so sad. And people are sort of self-medication when they're, they're sad or they're lonely and, and they just need some sort of outlet and then it becomes a problem. Yeah, that's, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, and it's, you know, right now too, we're seeing interesting outcomes after as COVID's kind of on the decline, right? Which is now we've spent years in this new way of living and it's challenging for individuals to deal with getting back to your life, you know, reality and, and things post COVID. So it's just, it's very upsetting, I think across the board to watch and, and as a provider, it just ramps up our passion level to be able to help as many people as possible. You are a licensed professional counselor and you've been around addiction treatment your entire life. What are some of the main reasons? I know we talked about loneliness, but there are several reasons that a person can become addicted. What do you see? Sure. I mean, I see a whole gamut of reasons. There's certainly a genetic component, you know, definitely with alcoholism, there's been a lot of research historically. So you know, having someone in your family that has this disease can be a, a genetic marker or predisposition for addiction. I think I've seen a lot in the last, you know, 15 years, which we've all heard about, which is injury related or, you know, medicated, you know, addictions where someone breaks a bone and, and starts on an opiate and leads down a path to addiction. And I mean, I think life stressors. I think certainly the impact 
of COVID, the impact of job loss, the impact of just the uncertainty in the world leads people to not want to feel, not want to have to engage in that. And I think that's another reason someone picks up a substance and potentially leads down the road to addictive, addictive behaviors. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a, a drug, uh, drug use, uh, but there's also alcohol use and alcohol is so widespread and almost socially acceptable where somebody can kind of fall into that without even realizing. And I think in, in some ways a little more challenging, I don't want to say more challenging, but more easier to, to use alcohol than drugs yeah. because you know, many times you, know, you can't get drugs as easily as alcohol. So talk to us a little bit about that. And, and you see a lot of women coping with alcohol as well now. I do. And I've seen that historically. I will say it's funny for me because I'm in this space and I've been in this world for so long that I'm, you know, very well aware of the impact of alcohol and alcoholism. And quite frankly, it's a fatal disease. You know, it, it's very hard to watch. And I have an understanding of that, but you're right. The the perception of it is that it's a social construct that, you know, it's less, you know, harmful, less long-term effects, but it's just not the truth. I mean, alcohol is legal upon a certain age, and it's certainly something that we, we think of as more socially acceptable. So I do see, like I said, during COVID, a lot of older adults, and I'm talking 70 plus years old, and certainly females that start out with casual drinking, you know, really enjoy the the side effects, right? That that feeling that comes with it. And unfortunately, it can lead down the path to long-term use. That leads me to a question that I think everybody talks about. And so you're a casual drinker, maybe even a binge drinker, but you're functioning. You go to work, you take care of your children, you're living your life. Is it you that has to say you have a problem or does someone else have to look at you and say, you really abusing alcohol now? Right. Or, or I mean, drugs. it depends. Yeah. I mean, it could be either, right? I think as humans, we would hope that we have the insight to say, hey, this is impacting my life. This is impacting my relationships. But more often than not, it's someone else bringing it to your attention. It's a loved one saying, hey, you know, this really seems to be a problem or you're calling out of work a lot or, you know, you can't stop on your own or there's significant side effects when you do try to cut down. But I've seen it both ways. I have, you know, actually seen people that come in for treatment that self-proclaimed, I need help. You know, I'm realizing this has gone too far, but more than, more than not, it's, it's a loved one. So what do you do? Do you have an inner, we always hear about interventions. How do you get to somebody that you see has a problem? Someone you love, it could be a, a, a spouse, it could be a child. How do you really convince them? Because most of the time when people have a substance use disorder, they don't want to stop. They, they right. even if it's impacting their life, they don't want to stop because we said they're dependent on it. They almost in a way enjoy it. They enjoy that escape. So that's a really tough thing to break. What, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on the relationship. I I see a lot of secrecy in this disease. It's a huge factor of addiction. So it's always speaking up, right? It's always asking, are you okay? Do you need help? But just know you're not alone. You know, at Recovery Centers of America, we offer intervention services. We can be that voice on the other end of the line. And I think if you're a loved one and think someone may be struggling, reach out. 
ask for tips, ask for help, you know, give the situation and say, you know, should I be having this conversation or should I be getting professional services? And I think a lot of the times it's important to have a third party coach and guide because for the most part, our loved ones are very near and dear to our heart. And we put on, you know, a a certain, I call it like, you know, shade of glasses when we're having those interactions and a third party helps really just keep it very factual and actual and, and support the process. That's a very good point. You're, you're more likely to sort of forgive or overlook somebody, some of the issues with someone that you love. So, but when it gets to be a problem like that, it's good to know Recovery Centers of America has help and direction and a way to, to approach that topic, which can be very, very delicate. And you follow this 12-step program. I have uh, had alcoholism in my family, several members of my family, extended family, and it's, it's very, very difficult. And one family member actually followed the 12-step program and is a recovered alcoholic and doing great. And it is a, it's been around forever. And it's just an amazing way of, of handling it, an amazing approach to handling substance use disorder. Talk to us about the 12-step approach, which you do at Recovery Centers. Sure. So I'm so happy to hear about your your family members. I think, you know, the 12 steps of AA and and subsequently NA and other offsets of that are really around life principles. I, I think of it like that. Of course, addiction is what we typically think of them, but it's, you know, principles for wellness and recovery, right? Starting with this idea that we, you know, admit we have, we're powerless and that we have a problem. And then going through stages where, you know, there's forgiveness there's making amends, there's, you know, it's very present speaking. I, um, I know meditation and things like that are very common in our, you know, vernacular now, but those are part of the 12 steps. And then a huge emphasis on giving back, which is why you see a lot of people in personal recovery that talk about service and, you know, do service projects. It's, it's a way of living. And I think at Recovery Centers of America, it's important, sure, that we provide education and guidance to our patients on the philosophy of the 12 steps, but that also our team is speaking that language and understands the why and understands the value out of it, not just in our professional lives, but our own personal lives. And it's great. I mean, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has been around for, you know, decades and decades, but it's, it's just life principles. And I'm really proud that we prioritize that approach at RCA. Talk to us about your programs and and they've changed. Many of them have have developed over the past few years, uh, coping with the pandemic and the way that you have had to help treat people. Talk to us about, you have so many different programs. It's it's amazing. We do. We have, you know, every level of care and and service a patient might need, right? So we have inpatient, outpatient, and medicaid-assisted treatment options for every patient across six states. But the programs have expanded to your point to serve the needs of our patients, which are evolving every day. So, you know, we have specific clinical programming for older and younger adults. But I mean, in our in our Massachusetts sites, we've launched some, you know, healthcare professional courses. There's been a lot of, we'll say, burnout for nurses and substance use therapists during the COVID pandemic because of the work we're doing. And we're seeing an increase in addiction there. So a program for that. 
we created a program where you can work, you know, work flex a certain number of hours from treatment. So you don't feel your job is in jeopardy. We have, you know, programs for first responders. We have programming for patients who've been to treatment multiple times. Just everything you can think of because we don't want the reason to be that someone can't come into treatment because they don't feel like it's for them. And it, you know, make people feel comfortable knowing that we're going to individualize treatment to their specific needs. You also have a lot of group meetings and counseling for people who have suffered uh, through trauma because trauma can be a leading factor in addiction. How important is it to address the underlying factors that can lead to an addiction? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it is the most important factor is to address the underlying. Our, I would say 85% plus of our patients coming through treatment have some level of trauma. And trauma is just really anything that has happened to you where it's impacted your ability to cope and your ability to you know, identify positive ways of, of discussing or having an outlet. For us, and we're gonna talk about ramping up our mental health services, the addiction is just the, you know, it's the outcome, it's the end symptom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yes. it's the end symptom. The underlying is what are really the signs that, you know, we pay attention to and the things we explore during treatment with our patients so that they can have another outcome or use another outcome to deal with life circumstances. Right. Because, and I've, I mean, I've talked to people in this field and, and I always ask the question, is does mental health lead to addiction or does addiction lead to mental health issues? And I think they are so interlinked. They are. And it's the chicken before the egg, right? It's that, it's that famous old additive. It's one, it's varies by individual, right? But I will say the underlying, you know, feelings or concerns, whether mental health or trauma or family and relational those most times are going to lead somebody to cope in a way that's either ideal or not ideal, right? Which is where addiction comes into play. The mental health needs of our population post-COVID are unlike anything I've ever seen before, which, you know, is a cause for concern, right? Because if we know that that's one of the symptoms that can lead to addiction, it gives us a lot more to fight for. How important is that group support and that feeling that you're not alone? Yeah. In addiction treatment and in recovery, it's the single most important factor. You know, part of the 12 steps that we discussed earlier, a huge part is fellowship and networking and having a a positive social support network. So what we try to do in, in each level of care across RCA is create that cohesion because we know treatment is one aspect of someone's recovery. And if we can foster that fellowship in our levels of care, we can increase the likelihood someone values it while they leave. The 12-step program often refers to a higher power and you have faith-based programs. They have been really successful. How important is that to recovery? Essential. You know, I think we we leave for, you know, an individual interpretation of what higher power means or someone's visual of what that is. But the spiritual void in someone's life when addiction you know, essentially takes over is tremendous. And at our, you know, our faith-based programs, we help individuals realign themselves to their own spiritual principles, whatever that may be, and fill that void. And it's been one of the most incredible things to watch is people gain that faith back. 
you know, not just in themselves, but in something greater than themselves, because it's core and critical to their own personal recovery. Listening to you talk about this, you must see people really make a transformation in their lives that they probably never even realized was that was possible, that they couldn't even imagine before. What are some of the success stories that you see? Oh, I have so many. I always say the greatest, you know, thing about being a leader in this, you know, field is I get to see people, you know, at their most broken, at their lowest point in life. And then I get to see, it's like 25 to 30 days later, this light, it's like a brightness. It's, you know, it's the single greatest experience as a leader is to know you had a small impact, but for me, the success stories and my favorite stories are the ones where they're now working with us, where they're employees, where, you know, I was able to see them in their journey. And then a year later, they work hand in hand with me to help give somebody else light. And I have, I mean, countless dozens of those team members today that I can say are sharing that experience. There is no greater purpose for me personally but certainly as a provider to know that someone was at their most broken, you know, the first time I met them and now they're giving that back to someone else. And it must be just an amazing feeling to see that. And they have uh, really taken that principle of giving back by working with you and telling other people, I was you, I was in your situation, but look at me now. And my life Nothing is so better. much better. Yeah, there's nothing better. I mean, it is, I will say of all the awesome things I think that, you know, I'm so fortunate to, to be able to do in this role. There's nothing better than seeing hope realized, you know, and, and hope given back to other people. And I always say we're having a human experience, right? So like, it's so exciting to know that you're not alone and that everyone's having the human experience. But in this space, that reward is, you know, just really in my face and, and very just available to me every day. And I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. And I've known you and, and your folks for many, many years. And I'll tell you, they are really great people and they feel it in their heart. You can see that this is a passion of theirs. They want to help other people. That's just, it's just part of them now. And it is, is really great. And it's, and you're changing people's lives. You're saving lives, really doing what oh, you do. Thank you. Well, yeah. um, it's a blessing. And again, I, I, as many people's lives as I feel like I can possibly impact, it's that same feeling in return because, mm. you know, we know recovery works and we know that treatment works. And, and also, you know, by bringing people in who can empathize and understand someone's situation, they then show everyone else it works. And it's just a great opportunity. It is. It is amazing. So if someone is feeling like they have a problem or someone they love has a problem, where can they reach out to you? Sure. So, I mean, 1-800-RECOVERY is always the easiest avenue. Real person, you know, 10 seconds or less will pick up the phone and provide any support. Our website is recoverycentersofamerica.com. I always, you know, have a lot of interest in that because I think it's the most viable option when there's some fear about making the call. And we're on every social media platform. So, you know, if you're struggling or know someone who is, don't hesitate to reach out. Dawn Bellamarch, thank you so much for being with us today. You shared some terrific information, hopefully have helped some people at least make that first step towards recovery. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Robin. 
Dawn Bellamort, Senior Vice President of Recovery Centers of America. And thank you for being with me today for Living Well with Robin Stoloff, empowering you to live a healthier life. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and I'll keep you updated on my most recent episode. Till we see you next time, please stay safe and keep living well.